Okay. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I'm jump back into it here. I have my girlfriend Stephanie in here with me. Hi. I'm going to try to get you used to her because she's going to be helping me on some upcoming projects. So she's going to come in and be Scrappy-Doo or whatever wacky cousin they add to the show when it jumps the shark. And she'll be in here to laugh at when I flub up reading and whatnot. So I may ask her a few questions throughout. Keep both of us awake. I may choose to answer. Okay. So I'm making chair noise. So you're already, already Sorry. with it. This is going to be the end of our relationship. You told me to come in here. Okay. Chapter 10 of Part 1. Western Union intervenes. A warning from Mr. Heem. New assignment from the sports desk. And a savage invitation from the police. And before we get into this, be forewarned that Stephanie may have tuberculosis. We're still waiting on test results, but... She's going to lunger it up in here real bad. <laughs> and she brought snacks. Don't make any funny noises or anything like that. Just. Okay. Okay. Got it? I'll leave the funny noises to you. Okay. Suddenly I felt guilty again. The shark. Where was it? I tossed the paper aside and began to repace. Losing control. I felt my whole act slipping. And then I saw the car swooping down the ramp in the next door garage. Deliverance. I grasped my leather satchel and moved forward to meet my wheels. Mr. Duke, the voice came from over my shoulder. Mr. Duke, we've been looking for you. I almost collapsed on the curb. Every cell in my brain and body sagged. No, I thought. I must be hallucinating. There's nobody back there. Nobody calling. It's a paranoid delusion. Amphetamine psychosis. Just keep walking towards the car, always smiling. Mr. Duke, wait! Well, why not? Many fine books have been written in prison, and it's not like I'll be a total stranger up there in Carson City. The warden will recognize me. And the con boss. I once interviewed for the New York Times. Along with a lot of other cons, guards, cops, and assorted, assorted hustlers who got ugly by mail when the article never appeared. Why not? They asked. They wanted their stories told. And it was hard to explain in those circles that everything they told me went into the wastebasket or at least the dead end file because the lead paragraphs I wrote for that article didn't satisfy some editor 3,000 miles away. Some nervous drone behind a gray formica desk in the bowels of journalistic bureaucracy that no con in Nevada will ever understand. And that, the article finally died on the vine, as it were, because I refused to rewrite the lead, for reasons of my own. None of which would make much sense in the yard, but what the hell? Why worry about details? I turned to face my accuser, a small young clerk with a big smile on his face and a yellow envelope in his hand. I've been calling your room, he said. Then I saw you standing outside. I nodded, too tired to resist. By now the shark was beside me, 
but I saw no point in even tossing my bag into it. The game was up. They had me. The clerk was still smiling. This telegram just came for you, he said. But actually, it isn't for you. It's for somebody named Thompson. But it says care of Raul Duke. Does that make sense? I felt dizzy. It was too much to absorb all at once. From freedom to prison and then back to freedom again. All in 30 seconds. I staggered backwards and leaned on the car, feeling the white folds of the canvas top beneath my trembling hand. The clerk, still smiling, was poking the telegram at me. I nodded, barely able to speak. Yes, I said finally. It makes sense. I accepted the envelope and tore it open. Urgent speed letter. Hunter S. Thompson, care of Raoul Duke, soundproof suite 1850, Mint Hotel, Las Vegas. Call me at once. Repeat at once. We have a new assignment beginning tomorrow. Also, Vegas, don't leave. Stop the National Conference of District Attorneys invites you to their four-day seminar on narcotics and dangerous drugs at Dunes Hotel. Stop. Rolling Stone called. They want 50,000 words, massive payment, total expenses, including all all sample shop. We have reservations at Hotel Flamingo and White Caddy Convertible. Stop. Everything is arranged. Call immediately for details. Urgent repeat. Urgent stop. Dr. Gonzo. Holy shit, I muttered. This can't be true. You mean it's not for you? The clerk asked, suddenly nervous. I checked the register for this man, Thompson. We don't show him, but I thought he was part of your team. He is, I said quickly. Don't worry, I'll get to him. I tossed my bag into the front seat of the shark, wanting to leave before my stay of execution ran out. But the clerk was still curious. What about Dr. Gonzo, he said. I stared at him, giving him a full taste of the mirrors. He's fine, I said. But he has a vicious temper. The doctor handles our finances. Makes all of our arrangements. I slid into the driver's seat and prepared to leave. The clerk leaned into the car. What confuses us, he said, was Dr. Gonzo's signature on the telegram from Los Angeles. When we knew he was here at the hotel, he shrugged. And then to have the telegram addressed to some guest we couldn't account for, well, this delay was unavoidable. You understand? I hope. I nodded impatiently. You did the right thing, I said. Never try to understand a press message. About half the time we use codes, especially with Dr. Gonzo. He smiled again, but this time he seemed to travel odd. Tell me, he said, when will the doctor be awake? I tensed at the wheel. Awake? What do you mean? He seemed uncomfortable. Well... The manager, Mr. Heem, would like to meet him. Now his grin was definitely malevolent. Nothing unusual. Mr. Heem likes to meet all our large accounts. Put them on a personal basis. Just a chat and a handshake. You understand. Of course, I said. But if I were you, I'd leave the doctor alone until after he's eaten breakfast. He's a very crude man. The clerk nodded warily. But he will be available. Perhaps later this morning? I saw what he was getting at. Look, I said, that telegram was all scrambled. It was actually from Thompson, not to him. Western Union must have got the names reversed. I held up the telegram, knowing he'd already read it. What this is, I said, is a speed message to Dr. Gonzo upstairs saying Thompson was on his way out to L.A. with a new assignment, a new work order. I waved him off the car. See you later, I snapped. I have to get back to the track. 
He backed away as I eased the car into low gear. There's no hurry, he called after me. The race is over. Not for me, I said, tossing him a friendly wave. Let's have lunch, he shouted as I turned into the streets. Righto, I yelled, and then I was off into traffic. After a few blocks in the wrong direction on Main Street, I doubled back and aimed south towards L.A., but with all deliberate speed. Keep cool and slow, I thought. Just drift to the city limits. What I needed was a place to get safety off the road, out of sight, and ponder this incredible telegram from my attorney. It was true. I was certain of that. There was a definite valid urgency in the message. The tone was unmistakable. But I was in no mood or condition to spend another week in Las Vegas. Not now. I had pushed my luck as far as it was going to carry me in this town, all the way out to the edge, and now the weasels were closing in. I could smell the ugly brutes. Yes, it was definitely time to leave. My margin had shrunk to nothing. Now, idling along Las Vegas Boulevard at 30 miles an hour, I wanted a place to rest and formalize the decision. It was settled, of course, but I needed a beer or three to seal the bargain and stupefy that one rebellious nerve and that kept vibrating negative. It would have to be dealt with because there was an argument of sorts for staying on. It was treacherous, stupid, and demented in every way, but there was no avoiding the stench of twisted humor that hovered around the idea of gonzo journalists in the grip of potentially terminal drug episode being invited to cover the National District Attorney's Conference on Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. There was also a certain bent appeal in the notion of running a savage burn on one of Las Vegas' hotels, and then, instead of becoming a doomed fugitive on the highway to L.A., just wheeling across town, trading in a red Chevy convertible for a white Cadillac, and checking into another Vegas hotel with press credentials, to mingle with thousand ranking cops from all over America. While they were harangued, while they harangued each other about the drug problem. It was dangerous lunacy, but it was also the kind of thing a real connoisseur of edge work could make an argument for. Where, for instance, was the last place in Las Vegas police would look for a drug-addled, fraud, fugitive who just ripped off a downtown hotel? Right. In the middle of a National District Attorney's Drug Conference at the Elegant Hotel on the Strip, arriving at Caesar's Palace for the Tom Jones Dinner Show in a flashing white Coupe de Ville at a cocktail party for narcotics agents and their wives at the Dunes. Indeed, what better place to hide? For some people, but not for me, and certainly not for my attorney, a very conspicuous person. Separately, we might pull it off. But together, no, we would blow it. Too much aggressive chemistry in that mix. The temptation to run a deliberate freakout would be too heavy. And that, of course, would finish us. They would show us no mercy. To in infiltrate the infiltrators would be to accept the fate of all spies. As always, if you or any member of your organization is apprehended by the enemy... The secretary will deny any knowledge, etc. No, it was too much. The line between madness and masochism was already hazy. The time had come to pull back, to retire, hunker down, 
back off and cop out, as it were. Why not? And every gig like this, there comes a time to either cut your losses or consolidate your winnings, whichever fits. I drove slowly, looking for a proper place to sit down with an early morning beer and get my head together to plot this unnatural retreat. So, Stephanie, um, this book is inspiring me. Uh, if, <laughs> if and when we'd ever be able to retire, we should definitely get a recreational vehicle like I see so many old couples driving around. Mm-hmm. Only we should recreate this, drugs and all. Does sound like a really good idea. It would. I would make a really convincing Benicio del Toro. I think you'd have to wear the you'd have to wear the open Acapulco shirt yeah. on the highway, yeah. pouring beer on your chest to you know speed up the tanning process. Mm. You have to lean into the mic a little bit in case anybody wants to hear you. Nobody wants to hear me. They're here for you. Oh yeah, there nobody's here. But yeah, I'm trying to get a back and forth with you so we can work together well on some of the macabre shit we're going to have to cover later on. Well, there's going to be a lot to discuss with with that stuff. Oh yeah, and you know, I get way too into it. Yeah, you do. You do get very into uh, all of that dark, dark stuff we're going to go over. I do enjoy it. I know. All right, back to the reading. Back to the reading. Back to the task hand. Part 1, Chapter 11. Ah, oh, Mama, can this really be the end? Down and out in Vegas. With amphetamine psychosis again? Tuesday, 9 a.m. Now sitting in Wild Bill's Cafe on the outskirts of Las Vegas. I saw it all very clearly. There's only road, one road to L.A., U.S. Interstate 15. A straight run with no back roads or alternate routes, just a flat-out high-speed burn through Baker and Barstow and Purdue, and then on the Hollywood Freeway, straight into frantic oblivion. Safety, obscurity, just another freak in the freak kingdom. But in the meantime, for the next five or six hours, I'd be the most conspicuous thing on this goddamn evil road. The only fire-apple red shark convertible between Butte and Tijuana blazing along this desert highway with a half-naked hillbilly mental case at the wheel. Is it better to wear my purple and green Acapulco shirt or nothing at all? No way to hide this monster. This will not be a happy run. Not even the sun god wants to watch. He has gone down behind a cloud for the first time in three days. No sun at all. The sky is black and ugly. Just as I pulled into Wild Bill's backstreet half-ridden parking lot, I heard a roar overhead and looked to see a big silver smoke trailing DC-8 taking off, about 2,000 feet above the highway. Was Lacerda aboard? The man from life? Did they have all the photos they needed? All the facts? Had they fulfilled their responsibilities? I didn't even know who won the race. Maybe nobody. For all I knew, the whole spectacle had been aborted by a terrible riot, an orgy of senseless violence, kicked off by drunk, drunken hooligans who refused to abide by the rules. 
I wanted to plug this gap in my knowledge at the earliest opportunity. Pick up the LA Times and scour the sports section for a Mint 400 story. Get the details, cover myself, even on the run in the grip of a serious fear. I knew it was Lacerda in that plane heading back to New York. He told me last night that he meant to catch the first flight. So there he goes, and here I am with no attorney, slumped on the red plastic stool in Wild Bill's Tavern, nervously sipping a Budweiser in a bar just coming awake to an early morning rush of pimps and pinball hustlers. With a huge red shark just outside the door, so full of felonies that I'm afraid to even look at it. But I can't abandon the fucker. The only hope is to somehow get it across 300 miles of open road between here and Sanctuary. But sweet Jesus, I am tired. I'm scared. I'm crazy. This culture has beaten me down. What the fuck am I doing here? This is not even the story I was supposed to be working on. My agent warned me against it. All signs were negative, especially that evil dwarf with the pink telephone and the polo lounge. It said Dwark, and it's spelled Dwark, D-W-A-R-K, and that's twice in this same book that it has said that. And I'm not sure that's a word. I'm going to have to look that up later. Maybe it's a dwarf named Dwark. That evil Dwark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Dwark with the pink towel. Dwark. Oh, Mama, can this really be the end? No. Who played that song? Did I actually hear that fucking thing on the jukebox just now? At 9.19 on this filthy gray morning in Wild Bill's Tavern? No. That was only in my brains. Some long-lost echo of painful dawn in Toronto. A long time ago. Half mad in another world. But no different. Help! How many more nights and weird mornings can this terrible shit go on? How long can the body and the brain tolerate this doom-struck craziness? This grinding of teeth, this pouring of sweat, this pounding of blood in the temples, small blue veins gone amuck, and from the ears, 60 and 70 hours with no sleep. And now, that is the jukebox. Yes, no doubt about it. And why not? A very popular song. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Boom! Flashing paranoia. What kind of rat bastard psychotic played that song right now, in this moment? Has somebody followed me here? Does the bartenderess know who I am? Can she see me behind these mirrors? All bartenders are treacherous, but this one was a surly, middle-aged, fat woman wearing a moo-moo and iron boy overalls. Probably Wild Bill's woman. Jesus, bad waves, paranoia, madness, fear and loathing, intolerable vibrations in this place. Get out. Flee. And suddenly it occurs to me, some final flash of lunatic shrewdness before the darkness closes in, that my legal hotel checkout time is not until noon, which gives me at least two hours of legitimate high-speed driving to get out of this goddamn state before I become a fugitive in the eyes of the law. Wonderful luck. By the time the alarm goes off, I can be running full bore somewhere between Needles and Death Valley, jamming the accelerator through the floorboard and shaking my fist up at Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. swooping down on me in his FBI Screaming Eagle helicopter. 
You can run, but you can't hide. Warning to smack dealers seen on a bulletin board in Boulder, Colorado. Fuck you, Ephraim. That wisdom cuts both ways. As far as you and the Mint people know, I'm still up there in 1850. Legally and spiritually, if not in the actual flesh. With a do not disturb sign hung on to the ward to ward off disturbances. The maids won't come near that room. As long as that sign is on the doorknob. My attorney saw to that, along with 600 bars of Neutrogena soap that I still have to deliver to Malibu. What will the FBI make of that? This great red shark full of Neutrogena soap bars. All completely legal. The maids gave us that soap. They'll swear to it. Or will they? Of course not. These goddamn treacherous maids will swear they were menaced by two heavily armed crazies who threatened them with a Vincent Black Shadow unless they gave up all their soap. Jesus, creeping God, is there a priest in this tavern? I want to confess. I'm a fucking sinner. Venal, mortal, carnal, major, minor. However you want to call it, Lord, I'm guilty. But do me this one last favor. Just give me five more high-speed hours before you bring the hammer down. Just let me get rid of this goddamn car and off this horrible desert. Which is not really a hell of a lot to ask, Lord, because final incredible truth is that I'm not guilty. All I did was take your gibberish seriously. And you see where it got me? My primitive Christian instincts have made me a criminal. Creeping through the casino at six in the morning with a suitcase full of grapefruit, and meant 400 t-shirts. I remember telling myself over and over again, you are not guilty. This is merely a necessary expe- expedient to avoid a nasty scene. After all, I made no binding agreements. This is an institutional debt, nothing personal. This whole goddamn nightmare is the fault of that stinking, irresponsible magazine. Some fool in New York did this to me. It was his idea, Lord, not mine. And now look at me. Half crazy with fear, driving 120 miles an hour across Death Valley in some car I never even wanted. You evil bastard, this is your work. You better take care of me, Lord. Because if you don't, you're going to have me on your hands. Now, obviously, we couldn't pull this off nowadays. I mean, that was as far as, you know, modern society and how things work. That was the Wild West back then. You You couldn't get it get you couldn't get away with this shit now everything's you know bureaucratically connected to you i mean you might get away with the soap <laughs> maybe maybe but yeah that's a that's gonna throw a real monkey wrench into my plans yeah i don't think i can hang anyway i mean well, uh, a couple of it sounds like a paranoid nightmare yeah a couple of basket cases like us oh god we get I'm picked so up in minutes neurotic. I'd roll across the state line and they'd pick us up. Oh, God. I'm getting antsy just thinking about there's it. There's only so much, there's only so far my charm can go, <laughs> especially when I'm on psychedelics. Oh, God. That would be, that'd be a mess. Well, first, first, whatever trippy drug we took, we would just out ourselves. <laughs> ex- existential nightmares back and forth of just. Oh, your God. your cosmic worthiness and all that and just questioning what what even matters none of it none of it matters i don't matter 
And then while we're doing that, we're getting cuffed and we barely inched into Las Vegas. Oh. Don't go chasing waterfalls, sweetie. I don't think we'd make it out of Arkansas. We need to stick to the drugs that we're used to. Mm. Okay. Now to power through this last chapter I'm going to read tonight. Chapter 12, part one. Hellish speed. Grappling with the California Highway Patrol. Mono a mono. On Highway 61. Tuesday, 12.30 p.m. Baker, California. Into the Ballantine, L now. Zombie drunk and nervous. I recognize this feeling. Three or four days of booze, drugs, sun, no sleep, and burned out adrenaline reserves. A giddy, quavering sort of high that means the crash is coming. But when? How much longer? This tension is part of the high. The possibility of physical and mental collapse is very real now. But collapse is out of the question. As a solution, or even a cheap alternative, it is unacceptable. Indeed, this is the moment of truth. That fine and fateful line between control and disaster, which is also the difference between staying loose and weird on the streets or spending the next five years of summer mornings playing basketball in the yard at Carson City. No sympathy for the devil. Keep that in mind. Buy the ticket, take the ride. And if it occasionally gets a little heavier than what you had in mind, well, maybe chalk it off to forced consciousness expansion. Tune in, freak out, get beaten. It's all in Kesey's Bible, the far side of reality. And so much for bad gibberish. Not even Kesey can help me now. I've just had two very bad emotional experiences, one with the California Highway Patrol and another with a phantom hitchhiker who may or may not have been who I thought it was. And now, feeling right on the verge of a bad psychotic episode, I'm hungered down with my tape machine and a beer bar that is actually the back room of a huge hardware barn, all kinds of plows and harnesses and piled up fertilizer bags and wondering how it all happened. About five miles back, I had a brush with the CHP. Not stopped or pulled over, nothing routine, always drive properly. A bit fast, perhaps, but always with consummate skill and natural feel for the road that even cops recognize. No cop was ever born who isn't a sucker for a finely executed high-speed controlled drift all the way around one of those cloverleaf freeway interchanges. Few people understand the psychology of dealing with a highway traffic cop. Your normal speeder will panic and immediately pull over to the side when he sees a big red light behind him. And then we will start apologizing, begging for a mercy. This is wrong. It arouses contempt in the cop heart. The thing to do when you're running along about a hundred or so and suddenly find a red flashing CHP tracker on your trail. What you want to do then is to accelerate. Never pull over with the first siren howl. Mash it down and make the bastard chase you at speeds up to 120 all the way to the next exit. He will follow. But he won't know what to make of your blinker signal that says you're about to turn right. This is to let him know you're looking for a proper place to pull off and talk. Keep signaling and hope for an off-ramp. One of those uphill side loops with a sign saying max speed 25. And the trick at this point is to suddenly leave the freeway and and take him into the chute at no less than 100 miles an hour. 
He will lock his brakes about the same time you lock yours. But it will take him a moment to realize that he's about to make a 180 degree turn at this speed. But you will be ready for it. Raced for the G's and the fast hill toe work. And with any luck at all, you will have come to a complete stop off the road at the top of the turn and be standing beside your automobile by the time he catches up. He will not be reasonable at first, but no matter. Let him calm down. He will want the first word. Let him have it. His brain will be in turmoil. He may begin jabbering or even pull his gun. Let him unwind. Keep smiling. The idea is to show him that you are always in total control of yourself and your vehicle, while he lost control of everything. It helps to have a police press badge in your wallet when he calms down enough to ask for your license. I had one of these, but I also had a can of Budweiser in my hand. Until that moment, I was unaware that I was holding it. I had felt totally on top of the situation, but when I looked down and saw that little red-silver evidence bomb in my hand, I knew I was fucked. Speeding is one thing, but drunk driving is quite another. The cops seemed to grasp this, that I'd blown my whole performance by forgetting the beer can. His face relaxed. He actually smiled, and so did I, because we both understood in that moment that my Thunder Road moonshine bomber act had been totally wasted. We'd both scared the piss out of ourselves for nothing at all, because the fact that this beer can in my hand made an argument about speeding beside the point. He accepted my open wallet with his left hand, then extended his right towards the beer can. Could I have that, he asked. Why not, I said. He took it, then held it up between us and poured the beer out on the road. I smiled, no longer caring. It was getting warm anyway, I said. Just behind me, on the back seat of the shark, I could see about ten cans of hot Budweiser and a dozen or so grapefruits. I'd forgotten all about them. But now they were too obvious for either one of us to ignore. My guilt was so gross and overwhelming that explanations were useless. The cop understood this. You realize, he said, that it's a crime to... Yeah, I said, I know, I'm guilty, I understand that. I knew it was a crime, but I did it anyway. I shrugged. Shit, why argue? I'm a fucking criminal. That's a strange attitude, he said. I stared at him. Seeing for the first time that I was dealing with a bright-eyed young sport around 30 who was apparently enjoying his work. Not like Gary Busey <laughs> at all, but anyway. I thought you were going to do your Busey voice. <laughs> I don't have a Busey voice. You and should. Like old Busey? Like current Busey? I don't know. I'll work on it. You should. You know, he said, I get the feeling you could use a nap. He nodded. There's a rest area up ahead. Why don't you pull over and sleep for a few hours? I instantly understood what he was telling me. But for some insane reason, I shook my head. A nap won't help, I said. I've been awake for too long. Three or four nights. I can't even remember. If I go to sleep now, I'm dead for 20 hours. Good God, I thought. What have I said? This bastard's trying to be human. He could take me straight to jail, but he's telling me to take a fucking nap. For Christ's sake, agree with him. Yes, officer, of course. I'll take advantage of that rest area. And I can tell you how grateful I am for this break you want to give me. But no, here I was insisting that if he turned me loose, I would boom straight ahead for L.A., which was true, but why say it? Why push him? This is not the right time for a showdown. This is Death Valley. Get a grip on yourself. Of course, get a grip. 
Look, I said, I've been in Las Vegas covering the Mint 400. I pointed to the VIP parking sticker on the windshield. Incredible, I said. All those bikes and dune buggies crashing around the desert for two days. Have you seen it? He smiled, shaking his head with a sort of melancholy understanding. I could see him thinking, was I dangerous? Was he ready for a vicious, time-consuming scene that was bound to come if he took me under arrest? How many off-duty hours would he have to spend hanging around the courthouse waiting to testify against me? And what kind of monster lawyer would I bring to work out on him? I knew, but how could he? Okay, he said, here's how it is. What goes into my book as of noon is that I apprehended you for driving too fast for conditions and advised you. With this written warning, he handed it to me, to proceed no further than the next rest area. Your stated destination, right? Where you plan to take a long nap? He hung his ticket pad back on his belt. Do I make myself clear? He asked as he turned away. I shrugged. How far is Baker? I was hoping to stop there for lunch. That's not my jurisdiction, he said. The city limits are 2.2 miles beyond the rest area. Can you make it that far? He grinned heavily. I'll try, I said. I've been wanting to go to Baker for a long time. I've heard a lot about it. Excellent seafood, he said. With a mind like yours, you'd probably want land crab. Try the Majestic Diner. I shook my head and got back in the car, feeling raped. The pig had done me on all fronts, and now he's going off to chuckle about it on the west edge of town, waiting for me to make a run for L.A. I got back on the freeway and drove past the rest area to the intersection where I had to turn right into Baker. As I approached the turn, I saw, Great Jesus, it's him, the hitchhiker. The same kid we picked up and terrified on the way out of Vegas. Our eyes met as I slowed down to make the corner. I was tempted to wave, but when I saw him drop his thumb, I thought, no, this is not the time. God only knows what that kid said about us when he finally got back to town. Acceleration. Get out of sight at once. How could I be sure he recognized me? But the car was hard to miss. And why else would he back away from the road? Suddenly, I had two personal enemies in this godforsaken town. The CHP cop would bust me for sure if I tried to go on through to L.A., and this goddamn rotten kid hitchhiker would have me hunted down like a beast if I stayed. Holy Jesus, Sam, there he is, that guy the kid told us about. He's back. Either way, it was horrible. And if these righteous outback predators ever got their stories together, and they would, it was inevitable in a town this small that would cash my check all around. I'd be lucky to leave town alive. A ball of tar and feathers dragged in the prison bus by angry natives. This was it, a crisis. I raced through town and found a telephone booth on the northern outskirts between Sinclair Station and, yes, the Majestic Diner. I placed an emergency collect call to my attorney in Malibu. He answered at once. They've nailed me, I shouted. I'm trapped in some stinking desert crossroads called Baker. I don't have much time. The fuckers are closing in. Who, he said. You sound a little paranoid. You bastard, I screamed. First I got run down by the CHP, and then that kid spotted me. I need a lawyer immediately. 
What are you doing in Baker? He said. Didn't you get my telegram? What? Fuck telegrams. I'm in trouble. You're supposed to be in Vegas, he said. We have a suite at the Flamingo. I was just about to leave for the airport. I slumped into the booth. It was too horrible. Here I was calling my attorney in a moment of terrible crisis and the fool was deranged on drugs. A goddamn vegetable. You worthless bastard, I groaned. I'll cripple your ass for this. All that shit in the car is yours. You understand that? When I finish testifying out here, you will be disbarred. You brainless scumbag, he shouted. I sent you a telegram. You're supposed to be covering the National District Attorney's Conference. I made all the reservations. Rented a white Cadillac convertible. The whole thing is arranged. What the hell are you doing out in the middle of the fucking desert? Suddenly I remembered. Yes, the telegram. It was all very clear. My mind became calm. I saw the whole thing in a flash. Never mind, I said. It's all a big joke. I'm actually sitting beside the pool at the Flamingo. I'm talking from a portable phone. Some dwarf, they got it correct this time. Some dwarf bought it out at the casino. I have total credit. Can you grasp that? I was breathing heavily, feeling crazy, sweating into the phone. Don't come anywhere near this. Don't come anywhere near this place, I shouted. Foreigners aren't welcome here. God damn it. Wrong voice, Zach. I hung up and strolled out to the car. Well, I thought, this is how the world works. All energy flows according to the whims of the great magnet. What a fool I was to defy him. He knew. He knew all along. It was he who sacked me in Baker. I had run far enough, so he nailed me. Closing off all my escape routes, hassling me, first with the CHP and then with the filthy goddamn phantom hitchhiker, plunging me into fear and confusion. Never crossed the great magnet. I understood this now, and with understanding came a sense of almost terminal relief. Yes, I would go back to Vegas. Slip the kid and confound the CHP by moving east again instead of west. This would be the shrewdest move of my life. Back to Vegas and sign up for the Drugs and Narcotics Conference. Me and a thousand pigs. Why not? Move confidently into their midst. Register at the Flamingo and have the white caddy sent over at once. Do it right. Remember Horatio Alger. I looked across the road and saw a huge red sign that said beer. Wonderful. I left the shark by the phone booth and reeled across the highway into the hardware barn. A Jew loomed up from behind a pile of sprockets and asked me what I wanted. Valentine L., I said. A very mystic long shot, unknown between Newark and Newark and San Francisco. Not Newark, like in Arkansas, it's Newark. He served it up ice cold. I relaxed. Suddenly everything was going right. I was finally getting the breaks. The bartender approached me with a smile. Where are you heading, young man? Las Vegas, I said. He smiled. A great town, that Vegas. You'll have good luck there. You're the type. I know, I said. I'm a triple Scorpio. He seemed pleased. That's a fine combination, he said. You can't lose. I laughed. Don't worry, I said. I'm actually the district attorney from Ignato County. Just another good American like yourself. His smile disappeared. Did he understand? I couldn't be sure. But that hardly mattered now. I was going back to Vegas. I had no choice. And that wraps up part one of the book. We're just a sh couple of pages short of being halfway through. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So what do you think, Steph? 
I'm just wondering if Gary Busey improved his part in the movie. Oh, I imagine. The man's a insane genius. He just wanted a little kiss. He gets very lonely out there. He's got teeth that are bigger than your big toenails. <laughs> Man's half horse. Can't imagine if he's half horse in other places. Mm, I haven't really imagined about that yeah. at all. I, I can't lie. I'd be remiss if I didn't say I thought about everyone's dick. What everybody's downstairs looks like. Well, that doesn't surprise me. No matter how horrible, and the mind has no limits of how horrible yeah. things can be. Your mind doesn't. Uh, I don't know. It's a curse mm. and a blessing. Is it? Angel to some, demon to others. Okay, well, I may read, I may do this another night this week just to get a jump on it and get through this project. What do you say? What's our timeline on maybe doing a horrible history? Oh, uh, well. And we got, we can do the last bit of notes tonight for hangings. Yeah, I need to uh, revise my outline for some of the notes we took down last night. So I see. I wonder if they can even hear you. I don't know. Like you're barely making a blip. My voice doesn't carry like yours. Nothing seismic. Anyhow, I look forward to hearing this gal some more because I got to have help. (laughs) I can't do it on my own anymore. You got to accept your own limits. And plus she's here. I got to put her to work anyhow. Mm, Yes, I have nothing better to do. You live under my roof. Right. So that's, that wraps up this part of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I'll, fuck, I'll start in on the other half. It's at my next convenience. You're doing great. If I feel like it. That's a really good book and it's really, you can be really enthusiastic about it. It's just the whole fucking reading thing that really gets to me. But yeah, I look forward to our horrible history project upcoming. Yes, it's going to be good. Keep and bad. Read along with me. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) It's going to be bad in both ways. Try reading along with me if you got the book at home or, you know, don't even fucking listen at all. I don't care what you do. I'm not your boss. Or am I? (laughs) That's the whole that's the whole end game here. If I can start a cult and start a revolution, my face will be on T-shirts that hipster kids wear. (laughs) And then the, well, actually crowd would come up and tell them what a piece of shit I really was. (laughs) well that's all for now folks look forward to our horrible history coming up stephanie any last words um that's foreboding any last words yeah god i feel threatened suddenly uh you should you should never not feel threatened Mm. you always gotta be on your feet around me yeah i'm on my toes all right Until next time, I'm Zach. I'm Stephanie.
And this is a shit I do. I record myself saying dirty words. Bye. Bye.